Are you interested in free theological training? Our flagship sponsor, Midwestern Seminary, offers free theological training through their For the Church Institute. This semester, they launched three new classes, New Testament 1 and New Testament 2 with Dr. Patrick Schreiner and Missional Leadership with Dr. Charles Smith. Both have been guests of the show. These classes, along with others they offer, The Story of Everything with Jared Wilson, The Trinity with Dr. Matthew Barrett, and more are all free and accessible to you, your community group, or your church to complete at your own pace. You can learn more and sign up to begin at mbts.edu slash knowingfaith. Again, that's mbts.edu slash knowingfaith for some free theological training from Midwestern Seminary. Go check it out. You're listening to Knowing Faith, a podcast of Training the Church. This is Kyle Worley, and I'm joined by my co-host Jen Wilkin and JT English on this beautiful morning. How? What's the weather like out there in Denver? It's a, it's a brisk 104 at 10:30 this morning in in Tejas. So, what's it like out there in? Colorado. When you stepped away for a second, Jen and I were talking about this, and I, uh, Macy and I went on a walk this morning about 6 a.m. It was 63 degrees with like a, a light chill, slight breeze, a little bit of rain. High is going to be about 84 today. It's uh, it's horrible, actually. No Texans should ever move here. Colorado is the worst. Uh, <laughs> you need to keep real estate prices low. Well. <laughs> Too late. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't sound that bad. Speaking of so hot right now, Kyle, aren't you working on something? I feel like we talked about what we were working on, but we haven't heard anything out of you. Tell us what's up. <laughs> oh man, so hot right now. That is, were you were you making a Zoolander reference there? <laughs> Was I? I think that you were. <laughs> Go ask your kids about it. Um, that's all I could think about was Zoolander. I couldn't place it. I was like, that is a cool, that, I couldn't place and it. That, that, Zoolander. that Hansel, that Hansel <laughs> is so hot right now. Um, okay, well, great. Uh, yes, I am working on something. Thank you for asking, Jen. If you guys don't know, Jen and JT just released a wonderful book called You're a Theologian. You should go check it out wherever you get your books at. I am working on a book and I'm really excited about it. I'm excited to tell our audience about it. Yes. For a long time now, I have wanted to write on Union with Christ. Uh, if you are a regular listener to the show or you're familiar with some of the things that I've written on online or some of the, the, the topics that I've really been interested in exploring on Knowing Faith, then you know that I really think Union with Christ is one of the more overlooked doctrines of salvation. And I feel like it's one of the most formative and fundamental and freeing doctrines mm -hmm. of salvation. Mm -hmm. And I've been eager to explore it uh, whenever I've had an opportunity. And so I was approached by B&H to write a book on the topic, and I'm really excited about it. And so over the next year, I'll be working on writing this book on Union with Christ. And I really hope uh, that it can help people come to the same degree of appreciation for what God has done for us in Jesus uh, and that it, they can experience a degree of freedom uh, in meditating on what I think is a really beautiful doctrine uh, that's not only biblical, but beneficial. So I'm really, really excited about it. I'll talk a little bit more about it over the course of the next year, just as I hunker down to write. You guys have any any tips, any advice as, you know, uh, mm -hmm. uh, published yes. authors? Yeah, you need to wander around your house and mumble with your hair <laughs> disheveled in a bathrobe. Okay. Those are my tips. Great. Yeah, but what did you do, Jen? <laughs> <laughs> 
good, JT. That was I good. think Ernest Hemingway would say you should day drink, but we would okay. not give you <laughs> yes. that advice. Okay. No, we're not Great. doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, Kyle, I'm really I'm excited for this about project, man. It's going to be, I remember the first time I heard you teach on this in the Institute, the first year we did the training program, uh, when we were still all at the same church, it, we brought Tom Schreiner in to teach on Romans and you with Christ. And the next year was you. So you had like some shoes to fill mm-hmm. as opposed to Romans and union with Christ. And I was just candidly, I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. And it was one of the most powerful moments, uh, for me, I would say in that environment and spaces, because it was overlooked in my own story. It was overlooked in my own theological development and understanding of the gospel. And so I I was, I had candidly low expectations, not because I don't have high expectations of you, but it's Tom Schreiner. He wrote the Baker commentary on Romans. And I was like, okay, (laughs) now Kyle's going to do it. And I was just like, I'll never forget it. I walked, you know, you have those moments where you walk, into a room, one person, and you walk out of the room, a different person. That was the moment that I had when I heard you first teach on union with Christ. And I cannot be more excited for this to be in an accessible format for people. So what a, you're the right person. It's the right book and it's the right time. So we're thrilled. Thank you. Thanks. I'm really excited about it. Thank you guys. Uh, That's not what we're talking about today. We are talking about slavery, exile, and wicked kings. And if you heard our first episode, we gave you a broad overview of the story of Exodus. And the reason for that is because we're going to be in these episodes, not really going line by line through Exodus, but exploring themes that we find through Exodus, going along the the order of the narrative and tracing those themes throughout the rest of the story of the Bible. And so- And what do we call that, Kyle? Exodus for the rest of us. Is that right? Well, yeah, but no, I was going to say that's a category for oh. our listeners is that's biblical theology. <laughs> yes. That's, uh, <laughs> so if you've ever heard, you know, systematic theology, Kyle, uh, systematic theology is, you know, studying doctrine. It's it's the organizing of ideas that we find in scripture. And then um, biblical theology is looking at themes that you can trace all the way through and saying, how does this story go all the way through? And yes, it will be a season of exodus for the rest of us i'm so sorry that i burnt your awesome line i thought thought you said this at the end of the last episode and i wrote it down i was like that's so good i I gotta i gotta tee her up to use it then you teed i thought you You just stomped all over it and i stomped all over your line i'm so sorry uh and jen i want to commend jen jen was actually following the run sheet she was said playing us perfectly with what i have provided and they never do that they never time for everything So uh, thank you, Jim. Okay, yes, we are doing biblical theology in this episode. The last one we did a little bit of recap on, and I just, Mm -hmm. we're going to do it real fast. We're going to do this for the first few episodes, and then we're going to break away, and we'll just hit the passage. But I know that if you're a new listener to the show, or this is your first episode, it can be tough to be like, well, hold on, I don't know the broad overview. If you want a deep dive on the overview of the story of Exodus, go back and listen to last week's episode. But just for our purposes today, Exodus is the second book in the Pentateuch. The Pentateuch are the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. When we get to Exodus, we are dealing with the children of Abraham, who by way of Joseph have now entered into Egypt because there was a famine in the land and Egypt have the good stuff. So the children of Abraham have not really intended to be in Egypt long-term, but they are there and they're growing there. Isn't that right, Jen? Now, God told Abraham it's going to happen in Genesis mm-hmm. 15, but mm-hmm. their 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 long-term destination wasn't supposed to be Egypt, right? Right. And so it ends up, the, the promises of God end up playing out 
according to a different timeline than would be expected and, and in a different way than might have been expected. Although, as Kyle pointed out in our last episode, there were hints of how it was going to play out. Actually, it wasn't even a hint. God basically tells Abram when he cuts covenant with him how things are going to go. So, um, yeah, we've been hinting at where the story is going to go, and then we get to Exodus, and we get to see that God is going to deliver the nation of Israel, and then he is going to establish his reign and rule with them through his law and and give them a, a way to dwell with him. That's right. Now, when we think about uh, the flow of this story, we're coming out of Genesis. Now, Genesis uh, ends really with Joseph bringing, well, it ends with the death of Joseph, but the last kind of major part of the story of Joseph, really, one of the things that always surprises me when I come back to Genesis is how much time is given to the Joseph narrative, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like, it's crazy. It's the, I think it's the majority of the Genesis narrative is given uh, to him, right? His story is given more space than Abraham. Isaac or Jacob. Which is wild when you think about it because he doesn't often factor into our retellings of the Bible in a in a highly significant way. Certainly not as significant as Abraham or Moses. And I would argue he's he's one of the clearest types of Christ in in the Old Testament, if not the clearest. And now, I don't want to dog on Moses, but well, because we're not going to be able to spend so much time talking about Joseph because he, he really just looms in the background, kind of mm-hmm. as a shadow entering in. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe just say something about that real quick, because maybe our listeners are going, "Well, I want to hear more about that," and we're not going to have natural opportunities to do it because the narrative has moved past him. I actually think we might have a previous episode on this that they could go back and listen to. I think I'm pretty sure we talked about this at one point. We um, did, but give him the give him the the the, uh, the elevator pitch. Yeah, so he he is um betrayed by his brothers, you know, it, it, which is the uh, picture of Christ. Um he then is delivered over to his enemies and then he ends up ascending at the end of his story to um the right hand of Pharaoh where he provides bread for the world. That's the short version of it. Um but all the way through the story he is portrayed as a righteous person and you know a lot of these biblical narratives are uh, unvarnished retellings of difficult people mm-hmm. even though those people are prefiguring Christ and so that's why I point to him. You know, we we see Moses have some pretty epic failures. Those failures are actually not included in the story of Joseph. And so that's why he's attributed with that. And my favorite thing, you know, as we step into the book of Exodus is how at his death, he he makes them promise to carry up his bones out of Egypt, which tells Mm. us that he anticipated the faithfulness of God that we will see play out in the, in the chapters to come in the story of Exodus. He's like, we're not staying here. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a beautiful little detail there, you know, everybody who knows anything about Egypt knows about the pyramids and the tombs of the pharaohs. And so Joseph dies in the place in the ancient world that was most capable of preserving his bones to be moved at a later date. They were experts in death. And so um, it's just one another cool addition to how it sets up the story of Exodus. I love that. And, and also experts of death, that's a incredible name for a metal band, if you will. Really I was going to say, that's one. like a... Metallica spinoff or something. I just, like yeah, that. I just want to. I just want to say, like, if you were out there looking for your title for a metal band, Jen just gave it to you. Can You're we not- get like a, a, a? Could experts of death open for Crickleback? Yes or no? <laughs> yes, a hundred percent, no doubt, no doubt. At our future, at our future Knowing Faith conference, that will be yes. the lineup. Um, yes. All right. So, JT, would you do me a favor? Uh, do you have a Bible, JT? Right in front of me. Great. Could you read? Uh, I know I told you I was going to read it, but I'm not going to uh, yep. <laughs> because there's some names in here that I know I'll mess up, and then you guys will mock me for it for you know uh, roughly 28 episodes. Um, <laughs> 
So uh, would you read Exodus 1, verses 1 through 14? Now, every episode, we're going to have a passage that we read that'll ground us as listeners for the show. Again, the goal is not going to be going line by line, but if we don't give you one of these in a book as big as Exodus, it'll kind of feel like, where are they actually at right now? So Exodus 1, verses 1 through 14. JT, would you read that for us? And uh, just remember, if you mess up any of these names, it will don't haunt slow you. down in the middle of it. Is that what you do? Don't slow down. Right in particularly, the of it. If it, particularly if the name is Shatim. Okay. I, I wasn't going to say it. I wasn't going to say it. All right, All right go here for we it, go. Man. This is Exodus chapter one, beginning in verse one. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each came with his family, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali. Gad and Asher. The total number of Jacob's descendants was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation eventually died. But the Israelites were fruitful and increased rapidly, multiplied, and became extremely numerous so that the land was filled with them. A new king who did not know about Joseph came to power in Egypt. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we are. Come, let's deal shrewdly with them, otherwise they will multiply further, and when war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So the Egyptians assigned taskmasters over the Israelites to oppress them with forced labor. They built Pithom and Ramses as supply cities for Pharaoh, but the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread, so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. They worked the Israelites ruthlessly and made their lives bitter with difficult labor in brick and mortar and all kinds of field work. They ruthlessly imposed all of this work on them. There we go. So when we get here, right from the beginning, we're getting the names of the sons of Israel, and then we're hearing that they were fruitful and multiplied. Israel increased. Now, this idea of multiplication is not just found here, right? Like this, even this phrasing has shown up already in the story, right? Where have we found it before? It's in the creation narrative. Yeah. yeah. We've mentioned Genesis 15 a few times here and 17 as we should, but if I was going to kind of maybe put pillars down for people or understanding like, man, where's, where is Joseph's mind when he says what Jen just said, take me back home, essentially, is this, he knows that God's people are supposed to do two things. They're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And as they do that, they're going to take God's glory and beauty uh, and representation to the ends of the earth. And they're also supposed to do that from a particular place, the place, the land that was given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so one of the things that is shocking as this narrative opens is you wouldn't think God's people are going to be fruitful and multiplying while they're living under the oppression and suppression of an evil king and in this evil empire, as we see here in the first 14 verses. But that's exactly what God's doing, that even as they're more and more oppressed, they actually are more blessed and they are more fruitful and they multiply in in greater ranks and in greater numbers. And so now this story is going to be, how do they continue to do that? And then how, and is God going to take them back to the place that Joseph so desires for his family to go, though he's now deceased, and that God desires for his people to be, namely the, the kingdom of God? Yeah. And so the original, uh, yeah, that's exactly right, JT. And when we hear this the first time, uh, it, be fruitful and multiply in the creation narrative, uh, what follows from that is... Uh, that there is honestly, there is a wicked king who, or a wicked ruler who deceives the people and they end up right like in mm. exile and in enslavement. 
when we talk about doing biblical theology here, like it's not identical because the world is already broken as that's different from the original pronouncement of this and the garden narrative prior to Genesis three. But what ends up happening here is the next line after that is there arose a new King over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And what does he want them to do? He does not want them to be fruitful and multiply. He wants them to be enslaved and dead. Like, mm-hmm. so like the, the, the initial pronouncement of the fruitful and multiply is not accompanied by it happening, at least certainly right. not in the way that God intended it for because of humanity's rebellion against God and spiritual submission to the serpent. Mm-hmm. But here in this broken world, this pronouncement is once again accompanied, not by it materializing mm-hmm. really, but by a wicked king coming in and saying, we got to crush it, right? We yeah. got to throw it down. And you're setting up a theme that we'll see, you know, throughout the rest of the scripture. It's not just wicked kings that we see, but the association of the wicked king with the serpent image. And so uh, when you think about Pharaoh, another thing that people commonly know when they think about Egypt is what the Pharaoh's headdress looked like. He wears a snake on his very Mm -hmm. headdress because uh, Wajet was the protector goddess of Pharaoh. And so this then means, so here we see, you know, Genesis, you see the serpent um, try to remove fruitfulness and multiplicity for or multiplication from um, the mm-hmm. children of God. And here we see this happening again. The serpent is going to come in and try to crush that. And what we end up seeing with that image is the image of the serpent, uh, the serpent king basically being mm-hmm. traced all the way through into the gospels and then all the way beyond the gospels to the book of Revelation. Revelation. Um, in the Psalms, we hear mention of Leviathan, the great sea serpent, yeah. and the Israelite mind understood that to be a veiled reference to Pharaoh. And so the idea of the serpent king ends up just saturating the psyche of the Hebrew uh, people in a way that you find, uh, you know, through Samuel, through the book of Kings, uh, all the way through Chronicles, it keeps popping up its little serpent head and and it's to it's to it's to raise the tension of where is the one who will crush the head of the serpent that's right because that's the that's the promise that's given uh, um, among the consequences and curses that we find in Genesis 3 right that a hero right. would come from the seed of the woman and would crush the head of the serpent and mm-hmm. so you're right this is a part of the first gospel proto evangelion or is what's called Genesis 3:15 that then is now being kind of it, it's reverberating from Genesis through Exodus mm-hmm. and then throughout the rest of the Bible and that's what we're trying to do this season is trying to trace these things Jen gave you some examples of that I was even thinking I had written down you know when when uh, David who is uh, no doubt, like the quintessential king of what Israel will become on the other side of the Exodus, his maybe defining life event prior to his kingship is uh, defeating Goliath, whose armor is described as the scales of a serpent. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you think about in uh, Revelation, the whore of Babylon rides upon mm-hmm. a dragon, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. this serpentine creature. So it's like this theme of a serpent king that is looking to. Uh, invert God's intention for his people and oppress, crush, kill, destroy, poison, deceive, being overthrown by the power of God is not just a little snapshot in Genesis or Exodus. It just, it, it, it's a thread that you pull on and you find it throughout the rest of the Bible. We live in a possession and money obsessed culture, but what does the Bible say about generosity? In his new book, A Short Guide to Gospel Generosity, author Nathan Harris shows us that the answer to our obsession with possessions is turning to the gospel, because only in the gospel can we find the type of life transformation that enables us to turn our focus from ourselves and back to others, to give generously, and to follow in the way of Christ. 
To learn more about the book, visit GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. That's GuideToGospelGenerosity.com. The CSB Life Council Bible provides biblical counsel and practical wisdom for pastors, ministry leaders, counselors, parents, couples, and any individual seeking practical wisdom through the application of God's Word. It includes more than 150 full-length articles on a wide range of topics and tough issues from respected Christian counselors and scholars. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your copy today. Visit CSBLifeCouncilBible.com to get your your copy today. There's a really interesting thing that happens with the image. Um, and so you mentioned David and Goliath. Goliath is a Philistine. He's not of the children of Israel, obviously. And uh, what we then see by the time we get into um, later books of the Bible, so like um, in, in Kings, you have the story of King Ahab. And when Ahab dies, we hear that an arrow, a, a quote, random arrow pierces him um, right above his, right underneath his scale armor. Uh, and so you begin to see that it's not just non-Israelite kings who can be cast in the role of a serpent king. Ahab was a terrible king, and so he also is characterized that way. And then significantly, when you get into the New Testament, into the Gospels, um, we hear a replaying of the Exodus account in the birth narrative of Jesus, and the one who is cast as the serpent king is the king of the Jews, Herod. Herod is the one who who has who has conformed to the image of the serpent, and which is fitting because the way that the Gospels portray Israel is as those who have rejected. Um, Messiah. And so therefore, um, Israel's own leaders become characterized as a brood of vipers. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, and, and the king of the Jews is himself a serpent king. Now, JT, we've been talking about wicked kings and the kind of that wicked king motif and theme that we find right here in Exodus, but that predates it in Genesis and certainly goes beyond it in the rest of the story of the Bible. But exile and this sense of not being where we're supposed to be, that's not something that's unique or novel to just this chapter, is it? I mean, this is something that predates it and also goes beyond it too, right? What are some of that, what's some of that exile theme that you feel like reverberates both before and beyond Exodus? You know, ironically, and and you are a theologian, as Jen and I were writing, you know, typically sin or the consequences of sin are described as death or depravity or original sin. and, And those things are true. But when we're looking at the thematic understanding of what happens as a consequence of our sin, one of those other themes is this idea of exile, which means to lose the very presence of God or to not be in the place that he created you to be with him. And so we see that in Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve, because of the consequences of their sin, and like in my mind, in my imaginative framework, you know, he says, go, go east of Eden. It's almost like they're they're going, but they're going like scraping and clawing because they don't want to leave the presence of God. They were made for the presence of God. And so they leave and God uh, guards his presence by a cherubim and guards the kingdom of God. And this is a theme that we always see that that humanity was made to enjoy the presence of God in the place of God, specifically here in Genesis 1 through 3 in Eden. But then this happens again. It happens here. Here they are outside of the presence of God, outside of the, you know, Genesis 12, 15, and 17 story of God giving a people and giving a seed to live in a place and in a land. Abraham called out of Ur and given again this kingdom of God. 
But it doesn't stop there. Here they are in Exodus. And once they eventually re-inherit the kingdom of God through the story of Joshua and Judges uh, and, the, and the ministry of eventually building the temple with David and Solomon, again, God's people, their kingdom is divided first in, in, in uh, around 722. And in 722, the Assyrian kingdom the nor- uh, destroys the northern kingdom, the 10 northern tribes of Israel, and really sends them into this almost nameless exile because they're just kind mm-hmm. of strewn about the nations. Like they're, they're really kind of separated and nobody really knows where they went. And then the two southern kingdom, or two southern tribes of Judah, had remained faithful longer because of the faithfulness of some of those kings, uh, and they eventually are also sent into exile. So in 605, 596, and 587, Babylon comes and destroys the southern kingdom and sends them into their own exile, going back to the very place that Abraham was called from, in this place of Babel that we see in Genesis chapter 11, this place of of wicked kings, of desiring to make a kingdom for ourselves and to glorify ourselves. And then again, just to get, kind of continue the storyline of the Bible through the ministries of of, uh, of some of the prophets, they're brought back into the kingdom. They build the temple, rebuild the temple, though this temple is not as glorious as the first. They, re- they rebuild the wall and they're thinking, this is supposed to be where we're supposed to be, enjoying the presence of God. God's presence doesn't come back. And then again, we're going through a very fast kind of story of the Bible here. The, the Bible opens with, you should call him Emmanuel, or the New Testament opens with, you should call yeah. him Emmanuel because he's God with us. And it's supposed to signify for us the end of exile, the end of our, the, the one who has come to deliver us is bringing about a new exodus for us. And that's one of the themes that we're going to see here is that though Moses delivered God's people back into the presence of God, uh, there is a new Moses who has come to give us and to indwell us with the presence of God by his spirit. But still uniquely, Peter opens up with this theme of exile by calling the church who though has the very spirit of God indwelling them individually and also corporately, he still says, despite the fact that Christ hasn't returned yet to establish his kingdom forever, that we are still elect exiles. So even now we can resonate with the people of God living in Egypt, despite the fact that we've experienced our own liberation and our own joy of the presence of God through the Holy Spirit that our exile isn't completely and fully over, that we're still waiting for the deliverer to accomplish all that he's already won for us in the gospel. And we have this great joy that we do have a deliverer better than Moses who's going to come and establish the kingdom of God here on earth forever and not just end our death, depravity, and original sin and the consequences of our sin, but actually end our exile so that we could live with him and enjoy him forever. That's right. You know, I think one of the things that is interesting about... um, you know, every time we hear uh, the word exile, I think of Tolkien's quote, our whole nature is soaked with a sense of exile. Mm-hmm. And that 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 accords with what we find in the story of Scripture after the fall of man in Genesis 3, that there is this sense in which exile is the most truly human theme and that it's been pervasive through the experience of every man, woman, and child since the fall. Um, mm-hmm. And so the only people who have who who know what it's like to not know exile is the pre-fall Adam and Eve. Those are the only two people who have ever lived to know uh, to to live with a felt experience of not exile. But everyone else who's ever lived, it's it's the universal human experience beyond uh, Adam and Eve's pre-fall state, which is really interesting. Well, and let let the English literature person show up for just a second and remark that you can tell how indelible this is on our psyche by how often it shows up in um, our most 
well-known and popular stories. And so you think about the idea of exile and, and serpent kings as well. Um, think about Harry Potter. Um, yeah. He is a child raised in exile who um, discovers his true identity and and finds his way back um, through the delivering of his people into um, the place that he belongs. Um, the same story is told about Luke Skywalker, right? Yep. Uh, and there's a serpent king in, in both of those stories. And so that's not an accident. And on the one hand, it is because the Bible has so shaped our storytelling that you find those motifs repeated, but on the other hand, it's because the story the Bible tells is true Mm -hmm. and people resonate with true stories in a way that they just don't with stories that are false. That's right. That's right. So the the themes of wicked kings, slavery, exile, they reverberate throughout Mm -hmm. the rest of the story of the Bible. We've given you a lot of examples of that. I think one of the places here maybe to just kind of bring us home before, because I don't want us to get too far into this, because next episode we're going to be dealing with the birth narrative of Moses, which is, we're going to have a lot to say about that, and I don't want us to spoil it now. But one of the things that's interesting here that I want to just explore is maybe this um, theme of uh, how— ineffectual persecution <laughs> that does seem to occur uh, mm-hmm. throughout the story of the Bible. Persecution that the the wicked ruler or the spiritual forces of evil intend to crush the people of God not playing mm-hmm. out that way. Because this happens again and again, right? I mean, if you were looking for a type or an anti-type, when, when, when I say that, that I'm using some some biblical theology and some literary devices to talk about how we trace themes through the Bible. There's different ways to do that. A type and anti-type are, are one of those ways that we see. If you're looking for kind of a type or an anti-type for some of what we hear in the language of Pharaoh here, I've often wondered like if the response to Pharaoh's actions here is not something like Gamaliel's response uh, with the burgeoning Christian movement that we find in the New Testament Acts, where Gamaliel's like, listen, if you want to oppose these people, fine, but just know if you oppose them and God's with them, you might be found opposing God. Mm -hmm. This is something that Pharaoh does not realize here, that what ends up happening is Pharaoh sets out to crush the growing people of Israel only to discover himself in opposition to the living and true God. And what ends up happening is not just that he does not, it's not just that his persecution of Israel is ineffectual. It's that it has the reverse effect. Yes. That his attempt to crush Israel becomes God's mechanism to crush him. And this is why, you know, so I'm spending a lot of time in Revelation right now for a project that I'm working on. And this theme is the theme of Revelation. It is, it captures this idea from Exodus and it says, uh, the church is enduring crushing right now. That's the, that's, that's, that's the message of John's visions is the church is enduring a crushing right now by the serpent king, by the great dragon, but the great dragon will be thrown down and the people of God will not just endure, but they will, they will be, they will fill the earth. And so, um, that's why, you know, when we understand what Exodus is trying to give us hope in, then we can have hope in our current circumstance. Mm. Um, when we look around and we feel, I mean, there are two things that we need to think about when we think about our current state and looking back toward the story of Exodus. One is um, is that we will be persecuted for following the way of Christ. Um, but the second one, and I think the one that hits a lot more probably of our listeners than the persecution piece, is that we will be tempted to um, to be absorbed into 
what the serpent king's agenda is, that we will want to um, have fear of man over fear of God. And so both of those things are addressed in the Exodus story. It's not just you will be liberated, but you will stay free. You will be faithful to God and God will deliver you not just from Egypt, but from your own hearts uh, and into his presence. And so um, when you see that in Exodus, then you look at Revelation and Revelation becomes less weird and more a source of encouragement that um, because God has done this before, he will certainly do it again and he will fulfill his plans to the uttermost. That's right. Well, I'm excited about the next episode because we get to keep going into the narrative to explore the birth narrative and the story of the midwives. I think that Jen has some things she'd like to say mm. about that portion of the I'm story. Just get so some we'll popcorn, just popcorn, maybe some coffee. <laughs> yeah, just, I'm both. Uh, both. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, we, we hope that you're enjoying the discussion so far. You can find more of what we're doing on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, Knowing Faith, wherever you're at over there. Uh, don't forget to check out the sponsors mentioned earlier in the show. We have a link in the show notes. It takes you to our Knowing Faith webpage. And under the sponsor section, you can find discounts, products, resources that we've recommended on the show. So if you heard of something and you're like, oh man, where can I find that at? If you go to trainthechurch.com and go to the Knowing Faith portion of that website, you'll find everything you need to know right there. Or you can click on any of the banners and links in the show notes and it will take you where you need to go. Leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show and you want other people to find out about it. If you want to find out some behind the scenes stuff, you can go to trainthechurch.com slash support. There's some cool, there's like a newsletter that you can sign up for. And then there's some other cool special special features and, and early access stuff that you can find out over there. So go check that out. And if you haven't had a chance yet, we want to encourage you to go check out one of our sister shows. I want to point out in this episode, Starting Place with Elizabeth Woodson. It's fantastic. If you are looking for like a podcast that's aimed at Discipleship 101 for Christians, Starting Place is a great starting point for that discovery. So it is a great podcast aimed at engaging believers that are right at the beginning of their discipleship journey. I encourage you to go check it out. We look forward to continuing our journey through Exodus. We hope you enjoyed the discussion today. Grace and peace. Did this episode spark an interest to learn more about Jesus, the Bible, or just theology in general? You can receive free theological training through Midwestern Seminaries for the Church Institute, where you can learn more about the Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, leadership, and more, even at your own pace. Learn more and get started today at ftcinstitute.com. Again, that's ftcinstitute.com for free training on Old and New Testament, Christian theology, preaching, and leadership. Go and check out these incredible resources from our season sponsor.